Welcome back to the HFR podcast. Note to self, do not mention it. Strawberry Corner's out tomorrow, not long to wait, buzzing. But today's guests on this one, we've, we ordered an Englishman in New York, but instead we've got a Geordie in West London. Darren Montgomery, how the devil are you? I'm all right, lads. How are you? Good, I'm good. Um, and you've heard of Shola from Fenham, Shira from Gossie, Gascoigne from Gateshead, and Bridges from Whitley. Well, it's none of those. We've got Stephen Evans from Washi. How are you doing, mate? And how was your swimming? Uh, I'm all good, mate. I'm still on a high from that game that shall not be mentioned. But uh, swimming was all right. Um, <laughs> just Ben having lessons. So just stood and looked through the little window. Back home, <laughs> rushed home for the pod. Nice one, mate. We do appreciate it. Thanks for coming on board. We're missing Ollie, who's on a well-deserved holiday. But he is back on the pod tomorrow, so not too long. Um, just before we get started, just going to do the usual pin update. Um, headline is, we've, we've still got some, so so go on there and grab yourself what you need. Websites, wearehfr.bigcartel.com, we are HFR on X, and we are HFR on Insta. Uh, the Wilson and the Trippier will be here soon, so keep your eyes peeled on socials in the next few weeks for release details. Uh, and there's loads of other stuff on there as well, T-shirts, mugs, magazines. What more could you want? Right, lads, let's dive right in. We're going to talk about football managers' attire, their gear, get-up, clobber. It gets attention nowadays, doesn't it? What should they be wearing? What shouldn't they be wearing? I'm going to come to you, Gomez. It's, it's your item. Um, but before I do, I've got four words for you. Brian Clough, green jumper. Aye. That green jumper is absolutely fine. Associated with Brian Clough. Perfect bit of managerial attire. Big question though. Did he have one jumper? Did he have multiple? Just... <laughs> I, I like to think of one and it's now hanging up in the uh, museum. Maybe the Museum of Football. Or football I'd, like to think that is, uh, I'd like to think that his missus just washed this jumper like, every single day. Like, Can you wash that for us, please? And try to wash it every single day. Well, I tell over the years though that it faded, so she probably did uh, wash it. I reckon. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty threadbare, wasn't it? Um, anyway, I so like the the managerial outfit. It's traditionally been the suit versus the tracksuit, hasn't it? No real strong views. I think either or is absolutely uh, fine. You guys might, you know, if you're standing on the touchline, you might have a preference. I'd wear this. I'd wear that. Either's fine. I think there's a, I think there's a place for both. But I think the thing that's changed over, I don't know, maybe maybe slowly over the last ten years. But I'm going to say it's sort of accelerated over the last three, and I'm going to blame TikTok for it, or maybe maybe X, which can be found at Twitter.com, is <laughs> is the sort of the smart casual manager. So, done, I've done a bit of research. Basically, the Premier League had only ever been won by a suit wearing manager. Up until the Guardiola Klopp change, and Klopp traditionally is a is a tracksuit manager. But since Guardiola, this is the this is the, the smart casual manager. Maybe it's a bit of, you know, the, the Central European influence. And it's sort of like it's sort of fine. And like football, you know, the sort of like the commentary and the punditry around it's moved on, and they all have moved towards smart casual with that with that one pair of trainers that they wear. And it's like it's sort of fine, but some some do it slightly better than others, and we can we can debate that. But the the big one 
that's really got us thinking about it is what's Vincent Company wearing? It doesn't make sense. It's, I think it's a probably quite expensive, maybe even a, a Savile Row tailored suit, although it looks a, it looks a bit top man. Those those pundits trainers, pretty like tight white t shirt, which might even be a vest. Like we haven't seen we haven't seen below the uh, <laughs> below the suit jacket, as far as I'm aware. But let's assume it's a t shirt. And then this this Burnley cap, which looks like a standard club shop cap. It's a, it's a quite a strange like amalgamation. It's quite a strange ensemble. But you, because he wears it every week, it's like what is it look? Is it is it something that he's trying to pioneer? Does he just not give a shit? Like, he's um, he's like drunkenly got a Blackburn tattoo on the top of his head or something, and he kind of takes his cap off. <laughs> but like that's sort of because I mean, we, I'm it's sure... also been like a dead warm summer and all, hasn't it? Aye, I mean the cap's fine because like we, you know, no, we I was going to say it. it's been a dead warm Do summer. He's put a bald head. <laughs> I do think it's protection me. <laughs> But the caps, the cap uh, in and of definitely. itself is fine because you know we've got the we've got the Tony Pulis and the cap. You know it's you know the first man you think of in, in a football cap. And Klopp's, Klopp's another another cap where I'm sure there's been I'm sure there's been others that you can think of. So the cap's fine, but it's just it doesn't really go with a suit. And then the the t-shirt rather than the shirt, particularly that tight white t-shirt, I just kind of figure it out. But then the other thing I noticed recently as well is like, again, I'm going to blame TikTok for this. When, so it was at the weekend when it was the Liverpool Spurs game and there was the big VAR decision, which enough people have talked about that, that we don't have to. Klopp comes out after, and it's obviously like the eyes of the world, all the media are on him. And thought he handled it pretty well, actually. Until he asked for an uh, until he asked for a replay, but you know, otherwise, apart from that, Daft request handled it quite well. But he was doing it dressed as a fourteen-year-old girl in this weird, oversized lilac Liverpool hoodie. Like, why? Why does that even exist? Like, why do we have all of this additional football apparel around the the home strip and the away strip, and possibly a little bit of bit of training stuff just like I don't know I just don't understand it it sort of <laughs> it takes away the gravitas I, I I wonder if it comes from like the kit manufacturers because you've got like travel wear training wear all these different ways now I mean I wonder if it's like contractual that they, they've got to wear these items of clothing they've got to wear this in the press conference but obviously that doesn't apply to kind of Burnley right who are sponsored by who are Umbro is it I, I don't know Different contractual clauses there, but um, I think just just to just to go back, like yeah, obviously um, suit or training gear. I kind of feel like I'd like to bring some retro items back, like the drill top. You don't see a drill top anymore, do you? No, you don't. And nah, Adidas you don't. Make some tremendous and Umbro some tremendous drill tops. But I don't know if that's like where the the oversized hoodie has like sat that bit of the market. It's overtaken us. Well, if that's the case, it's an absolute disgrace. Like, because the drill top is a—it's like a top five clothing item. <laughs> Here's one for you then, which is the sort of—it's maybe where the—I wouldn't call it smart casual, but it's where the tracksuit manager and the suit manager start to blend—is with the 
oversize, uh, what they're called, like those bubble coats, the puffer jackets that Arsene Wenger used to wear, club branded, down to your knees, over a suit. I think Roy Hodgson still does that to an extent. I, I, I think I think that's a fine a fine way to blur the line. Aye, the the um, the, the the bench coat, the the football bench coat, the bench coat, ginger. The um, but they're quite prevalent in Eastern Europe, aren't they? Uh, you see, you now in the freezing countries like Ukraine or like I don't know Latvia, I can imagine the managers just wear these coats all year round. I mean, well, they've certainly got a they've certainly got a weather based purpose on them, but it's you know it's just I'm I'm all right with that stuff. I don't know whether it is this like Central European influence that we've decided that. Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start going smart casual, Pep Arteta. However, you know sometimes sometimes they can pull it off. Sometimes it's it's a bit questionable. Nobody does it better than Javi Alonso. He's a cool dude. I've, I've got a, a couple of offerings to add. Have you got any? Have you got a, a, any any people you want to add to the list? Yeah, um, not really. I was going to mention Tony Pulis, um, but I think Darren already mentioned him. But what I would like to kind of, I'd like to put forward what maybe I would wear. I would try and be a bit of a trendsetter. So <laughs> you know how, like you know how fashion like goes in cycles. So I kind of feel we're coming round to the cycle of when we were kind of teenagers so i think what i would wear and everyone all the youngins would be like oh he looks kind of cool him so i would wear an an fc uk t-shirt that says pop my pink on it right i'd wear some some boot cut jeans with like some proper flared out leg and then it would have to be them you know them brown base loafers and then you know if it's raining or whatever i'd maybe get one of them von dutch caps and stick that on um and I, I reckon people would look and think, yeah, he's he's got some style. Him, he's he's different. And then you know, might get us a promotion or two. <laughs> we definitely put down as retro. They'd be like, look, this 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 lad wearing all this retro gear, and then the prices will go for the roof, <laughs> won't they? Exactly, exactly. I'll have deals coming out my ass. <laughs> here's here's one then. Just uh, before we finish. Where do you stand on should you be wearing should you be wearing boots on the touchline as a manager? Uh, so personally, I think you should. So I'm like a, a training gear manager. May I be wearing my boots? It just but it it makes us think of that old year on the bus. No one's just going shopping. She's wearing their football boots. <laughs> <laughs> so that makes me feel like. Um, but I'm I'm a, I'm a football boots tracker bottoms type of manager. I think. How about you? I, I don't know. I think I probably would be a a tracksuit manager, but like I do, I do quite like the suit. Like Simeone does the suit really well. But I don't know. I think, I think yeah. I'd probably lean. I think more because I'd want to. I'd want to have the couple of mundials on. I'd have to go tracksuit. So boots, boots. Sometimes be a slow fuzz. That's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, I <laughs> for different need. I think just just a couple of mentions. Um, obviously, Brendan Rogers, right? Kind of wears a suit now and again. I'm kind of feeling that's a Sergio Giorgini suit. You think we're being Brendan Rogers? And um, bit of a bit of a Brexit tilt on this one. Dean Smith, he's also like a, um, a suit guy, but he wears like an oversized suit. Not not too big, but he's wearing like a big shirt underneath, no tie, 
big color. Looks a bit like uh, Harry Hill. You know, it looks a bit stupid. Off the peg. Off the peg. I unironed just straight on. Um, right, let's leave that attire there. Maybe we'll see Ev on the catwalk one day, very soon. That would be... Uh... <laughs> Actually, just before we move on, I don't know if you've seen the rebranded Patrick gear. Uh, this is off, off, off the script here. I don't know if you've seen it on social media. They've kind of um, went back to the old Roma, kind of 70s, 80s style, and it, it's flying off the shelves, I think. Um, quite an easy thing to do for Patrick, right? Because they're a big, big name back in the 70s, and they've been nowhere since. So the only the only stuff I've seen is the I've seen it. I it looks absolutely lush. But then I think like you, they've got that retro brand which they can rely on. Maybe Admiral can make a comeback. But it's, it is quite hard to enter like Castore. That they've tried to scale quickly, and they're getting binned off by a few people, aren't they? Because of those like wet look villa shirts. So they, you know you've got to got to get the quality right as well as the look. Oh, yeah. Anyways, we're, we're, it was worth a mention. I think it looks quite quite good for it being Patrick. Maybe we'll see like a high tech trainers come out or something like that. Um, <laughs> right. Let's let's move on a bit. Um, I feel like it's time to give Jude Bellingham a mention. We don't do that very often. Struggling to make headlines, isn't he? Um, dear me, what a goal versus uh, Napoli! Did we see that? Yeah. And to think that we're left at Birmingham, retiring his shirt number, insane. So, anyways, this naturally got us thinking about the best British exports. And I'm not talking about your Sir David Attenborough's, your fish and chips, or your queuing. I'm talking about those footballing trailblazers. Currently, we've got like Tamori in Milan, Smolin in Abraham in Rome, and there's others as well. There's, there's a guy, uh, Edwards in Portugal. Um, I think there's a raft of them in Germany, actually, uh, young lads. There's loads. Um, Stephen, I'll come to your first mate. Snog, marry a voice. No, man, I'm joking. Um, three best, three worst. Any special mentions? Who you got? Um, I, I mean, well, just just to touch on Bellamy, he's just he's, there's probably nothing that I can say that hasn't already been said. Um, he needs to get his own celebration because he's copying Dan Burns. But other than that, um, he's doing all right, I suppose. Any considering he's only what. 19 is he now um he's probably you know probably is one of the what they'd call the galacticos um but speaking of galacticos i think my probably number one export um would be david beckham um i think he did incredibly well at real madrid obviously had like an unreal team with uh zidane ronaldo um players like that and they were just like that team to watch was just absolutely unreal um and obviously he then went on to paris and milan and all that stuff so and then obviously he was one of the first ones i remember anyway i know there was ones previously but obviously went over to la as well so um i think he he was probably one of the first ones that i certainly remember because i think there was a bit of a it was quite sort of stagnant. I think there was quite a big raft sort of late 80s, early 90s, and then it kind of stopped for a little bit, didn't it? And then he was the one who kind of picked it up again. Um, so I, I would definitely pop him as me number one. Um, I think Smallin, like, although he's not a huge name, I think he's he was kind of a bit ostracised at Man United, but I think he's now kind of first choice in, in Roma's defence. I think Mourinho trusts him. 
Um, and then although he's not really looking that great at the minute, I don't know what's going on with him and Man United, but Sancho, I think he obviously went as a young and he was one of those first ones to kind of go to Germany. Um, I think Bellingham followed him and a few others. Um, and he obviously set the world alight, got a 80-odd million quid move to Man U, but see, it's went a bit tits up. Um but I, I imagine he'll go somewhere else, pick his career up, and then Manny will be left kicking themselves because he's a decent player. Yeah, definitely. I think just just to go back to Beckham, right, it's, a, it's such an obvious one, but I kind of what I like about the Beckham one is that it wasn't just for a season. You no, know, you see kind of players go and try it and then they're back in the Premier League. And uh, Beckham like, forged a complete career outside of England, didn't he? It was kind of, yeah. obviously, Madrid, Milan, PSG, LA Galaxy. Like, he, he built... The majority of his career outside of England, I would say, um, and he did fantastically great. Any any ones that didn't go particularly to plan that you can remember? Um, I suppose the two kind of obvious ones that pop into my head probably Michael Owen and Jonathan Woodgate. Obviously, Woodgate had that disaster debut, didn't he? he scored an own goal and got sent off. Um, both of them were quality players. Um, Woodgate's probably one of the best centre-halves I've ever seen at Newcastle um, but it just didn't work out for him did it and then he came back um, but I, I mean it's generally if you go abroad I think it, it, more so recently it's generally looked at as a bit of a success you know you can kind of fly under the radar a little bit because you haven't got that constant press you know um, that the Premier League has so I think it's it can turn out to be a very smart move um, and I think more people were going to see it more and more over the next couple of years. Hundred percent, and you kind of see that younger generation making that move, don't you? From the kind of the the youth teams or reserves, and they're not getting the looking at the first teams in England. They're taking that step and going signing for you know your your Munchen Gladbachs, your your PSVs, and your Sporting Lisbon's, which which are huge clubs in Europe, and it gives them the the opportunity. Uh, Darren, same to you, mate. Any any that sprint to mind? Any successes? Any failures? Uh, so I'm, I'm going to have a. A quick word on on the Bellingham one as well. Just <clears throat> well, one I think it's interesting that we can we can argue this that England, as in the England squad's two best players are Kane and Bellingham, and neither of them are playing in the Premier League. But the Premier League is the strongest league. I think that's quite an interesting an interesting one. The, the Bellingham thing I was going to say is something that I saw this morning is that apparently before he moved, Vinicius Junior was actually messaging him, telling him to come to Real Madrid, like. What does that say that Vinicius Junior, who's another one up there with the best in the world, and also just a like global superstar, he's recognizing Bellingham as a kid, as like that good that oh we need him. Like yeah. I can't imagine he does that to many people, but just to like have somebody like that messaging go like I oh, come and play with us, it's just insane. Um, in terms of I haven't got that many failures. <laughs> but a couple of successes, I thought. I, just, I think the Matt Manaman one is is still a top move, and it was sort no, of. Really. It happened quite a lot in the in the sort of like eighties, early nineties. Fair few people went to went to Italy and you know like Waddle at Marseille and stuff. But then, like, it didn't really happen for a while, and Matt Manaman was like almost like I didn't really, it didn't really become a trend, but he was like. It was quite an unusual thing at the time. And then for him to like have that success in that team, score Champions League goals, but also just still look like a scouser wearing a Real Madrid trip on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Quality move. 
And a few of those I like. It's just the sort of like like the Keegan the Hamburg one, like just deciding that you want to try something else. Quality, like, and I, I don't know if this one's a bit underrated, but I think at the time really suited the shirt is Mark Hughes at Barcelona. Yeah, I agree um, with that one. But I, it's, it, I like how the shirts become iconic with these like plaited Sampdoria, superb. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. There's there's a few a few odd ones, isn't there? Where you're kind of like, obviously these are huge clubs. You're talking like Real Madrid and in Sampdoria and AC Milan, you know, Ray Wilkins. I think of in the, in the the black and red. But like Les Ferdinand going to Besiktas, you know, is a, is a young lad, and you had Beardsley going to Vancouver. Like what an odd move they make, Vancouver. Like, and then I'm pretty certain that Souness went to Australia before signing for Liverpool. Um. Like odd moves, like how how does that come about? You know, um, yeah, I think it's and just on that Vinicius Junior Junior one, I'm just thinking like where's the line when when tapping up isn't tapping up? <laughs> That's like it's one of those, isn't it? Like you could take that to court, maybe. I think uh, it's like I'm sure, definitely, definitely. Not, I think it's fine. It's not contractual, is it? Why why wouldn't you have <laughs> your best players like give give the other lads a nudge? It's not uh, down to the clubs to agree a fee, isn't it? It's not like I think it's fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna call it now. Uh, Bellingham, uh, Ballon d'Or, the end of the season. I think that's a pretty uh, pretty good show to be honest. Um, I've got I've got a couple here. Uh, so I think it goes another radar a little bit. Gareth Bale's stint at Real Madrid got a bit of a theme here, haven't we? Real Madrid. Like Gareth Bale did a fantastic job at Real Madrid, but he's he's held in such disregard by the Real Madrid fans. And um, you know, you just need to look at his overhead kick goal, uh, which was absolutely phenomenal in the Champions League final against Liverpool in twenty eighteen. Like, there's only there's only probably a handful of players that are able to make that sort of goal in that sort of prestige of a match, and uh, and he's one of them. Like, what a what a player. Um, obviously he spent. Bit more time on the golf course than than probably in the gym, and the, and the fans didn't really appreciate that. Um, another one probably worth a mention, just because I, I really like this quote that he did. So when um, Paul Lambert went to Dortmund, did really well, played in the Champions League final, and probably again one of the one of the first ones around that time with Steve McManaman, you know, ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven, that made that move. Um, so this is. Uh, this is <laughs> It's what Lambert said about his movie. He says, there was some unbelievable self-doubt that I could handle the company because when I saw the players, he'd won Serie A, someone had won the World Cup and someone had won the European Championship, the Bundesliga titles, and I'm coming from Motherwell on a free transfer. I was worth a bottle of Coke. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I think self-doubt, um, yeah, it's probably a big thing for a lot of British players going going abroad, isn't it? Knowing that you're going to be judged by the by the world audience, still feels like that, right? Uh, uh, definitely, and I think it's like you've obviously got language barriers as well. So going to Germany, going to Spain, you know, you, you, where English isn't their first particular language, I think um, can scare people off a little bit. You know, what are they going to think of us? Um, and I suppose that's probably the same for you know foreign players coming to the Premier League. Um, just one at the minute that's going slightly under the radar, uh, which I forgot to mention before, but Billy Sharp is absolutely banging the goals in for LA Galaxy. 
Um, he's he's doing in, incredibly well. Um, and I he was in the championship for about eighty seven years. Um, but he's went over to the MLS and he's absolutely banging them in. Him and Carlos, uh, no, not Carlos Vela. Uh, he plays for the other LA. Um, him and that there was a young lad from Barcelona called like Ricky Puig or Puig or something. P U I G. Um, no. So there's him and Billy Sharp are bossing bossing MLS. Doing the business, doing Isn't the business. Uh, still like the all-time leading goal scorer on the MLS or something. I don't know if I've just made that up. It probably sounds about right. He used to score like five every time that New York Red Bulls played, didn't they? I, th- I think he, he he held a record for quite a while. But I'm I'm not sure, but San Jose had a striker called Wondolowski who played like for like years and years and years. He's retired now, and I think he might have got the record, um, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Exactly. Well, his name's in the Hollywood now. If he was here, well, Oli Oli would know the fact, man. Um, I he think would. he's probably getting shouted at off his last over the minute. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> one one just to mention before we before we move on, um, and it's a shout out to HFR issue two actually in 2015. Guy called Jerry Hitchens, English guy, moved to Italy, played nine series nine seasons in Italy. Um, before moving back to the UK, to the UK, um, what a great story! I'll, uh, I do. I'd like to usher you to issue two of HFR to read that, uh, which is a fantastic read. Um, right, lads. The year is twenty thirty. Jordan Henderson's just returned from Saudi Arabia, having established the Riyadh Pride Festival, and is signing for North Sunderland FC. His phone rings. It's Southgate. He's made the World Cup squad for Morocco, Spain, and Portugal. No one is shocked. So, how are then? So, how Southgate announces England squad for the coming games against Australia and Italy. Italy is in the Euro qualifiers. Both games at Wembley. Like you don't even need that notification anymore, do you? You, you kind of know who's going to be in the squad. But Darren, I'll come to you first, mate. Can you please explain the how and the why on Harry Maguire, Jordan Henderson, and Calvin Phillips? <laughs> I'll have a go, but first I'm going to talk about what Gareth Southgate wears. I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not really going to do that. Um, Henderson one, don't, don't understand it from a footballing perspective. Can't say I've watched any of the Saudi Pro League to say that it's particularly competitive, albeit you know there are some, some decent players there. So don't know what his fitness is like, don't know what his sharpness is like. I think it can only be for his experience to have him as a sort of pseudo link, pseudo coach link between Southgate and the squad. And I was going to say the younger players, but it's a fairly, it's a fairly mixed squad, isn't it? Um, assume that's the reason. Um, Maguire, I don't know. This is this is the strangest one. I've got I've got other views on Phillips, which I'll which I'll come on to. The, the Maguire one is he's, he's going to start, isn't he? He's in there. He's in there to play, and whether Southgate just doesn't trust any of the the other young centre halves, you know, there's like Gehi, Colwell, who, you know, like where where are we where are we going to go over the long term? Like they need to be they need to be bedded in. They're good young centre halves, unlucky not to be not to be included, not to be used. I just yeah, I, d- I don't really. I don't really understand and it sort of undermines the message of you need to be playing, you need to be playing well to get into the England squad that he's touted. Although maybe he just didn't mean that and it was just a, 
answer to get a journalist off his back. Yeah, maybe it's a signal that he doesn't trust or doesn't rate any of the, the younger centre-halves. Or, or again, maybe sees Maguire as a as a captain and key to the way he plays, but strange one. The Phillips one, I'm going to defend slightly more because Phillips isn't there to start, but he's probably the sort of the only person who covers that position. So he's there, I think, just in case they need to bring on a sub. And he's, he's played a little bit more football. I, you know, it's, it's not worked out tremendously, but I think, He's he's there to sort of to be a squad player, whereas Maguire's there to play, and I think there is a bit of a, a bit of a difference in that one. Still genuine arguments about whether like Ward Prowse should be in the squad, but at least the, the Phillips one I think is to cover for that deep line position where actually you just receive the ball and give the ball, you don't do tons of running. So I think that's how I would view those three. But yeah, the the Maguire one I would have is the biggest worry. Less because of I don't want to bash Harry Maguire, but more because of the worry or the perception it gives to the younger centre-halves in that we've got. Yeah. I, th- I think the thing is with me, with, with centre-halves especially, kind of, if you're not playing, like, do you know when you've got to get up to game speed and stuff, like, it's different for a midfielder and a striker than it is for a, for a defender, especially centre-half. Like, if, he's just not playing the minutes, isn't he? And then coming into an international qualifier, it's, you know, he's done it, right? Like, he does it all, all the time. Stephen, do you think... This is this is just something that just popped in my mind. Do you think Southgate just um, sees a little bit of himself in Maguire, almost like you know, criticised, ridiculed. He's not really at that world class level, but dependable at, at clearing the ball. I, I don't know. Like, yeah, um, I think I'll uh, my view, being honest, is slightly different to Darren's, where I think Maguire is probably the one that. Um, he's probably been in the most squads. Um, like my my main worry is basically Phillips. Um, so I'm kind of a, a bit of a flip flop with Darren there. But um, I think Maguire. He's he's been with Southgate probably since day one. I think Southgate trusts him. You know more than probably anyone else in the squad. I think it might be slightly different if John Stones was fit because John Stones could maybe take that role as the as the kind of experienced defender. I know he's got Kyle Walker there. I know that I think Luke Shaw's injured, Ben Chilwell's injured. So, you know, you are kind of relying on a lot of not necessarily younger players, but a lot more inexperienced players. And I think he probably is good to sort of have around there. Whereas I think Phillips, I don't think he's that experienced. I think he's 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 had quite a lot of problems with Man City. Um, maybe a change of environment might do him good. So that's why Southgate picks him. Um, but I think you could, you know, I think what's frustrating for me and what would probably be frustrating for me as a player, if I'm a... You know, James Ward-Prowse, uh, even a short long staff at the minute, you're playing out your skin and you're just not getting a look at whatsoever and you look who's in the squad and think, eh, like I'm I'm doing better than them, so what do I have to do? Like, am I not doing good enough? Like, what's what's going on? Um, but I, you know, but possibly, I mean, <laughs> being a bit more sinister, Stu, in your point there, does, you know, people calling Harry Maguire, does that take the flag off Southgate if we lose? Because people blame Maguire and... Henderson and that, and Southgate doesn't get any of that blame, you know. Um, I don't think he's like that, but you never know, do you? No, it's, it's it's an interesting one, though, isn't it? It's putting it, it's definitely a different angle. Um, I can I can kind of see footballing reasons for Harry Maguire and, and Calvin Phillips. What I, what I cannot see is the, is the footballing reasons for Jordan Henderson. Like, 
yep, yeah, he's that kind of conduit between the manager and the players. But is that is that still a thing? Um, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like the the Saudi league is such a drop off, and he's not going to become a bad footballer overnight. Don't don't get us wrong. But is he is he international level now? You know, he's what he's thirty three. Not young, but that's not too old for a football. I suppose you know he shouldn't should he should maybe he's or definitely could have had offers in the in the Premier League. I'd imagine um, or in the in the top leagues abroad. Um, it just stinks of like over loyal, over loyalty from Southgate. Um, and I think I think it'll bite him in the arse. I, I kind of feel like the squad's a closed shop now. I don't think anybody's. It's not going to be any surprises uh, getting in the squad for for um, for any tournaments now. It's kind of these are the group of players that he trusts. I there might be some changes between Watkins and Wilson. That's probably about it. Um, are you are you excited for the matches? Are you going to be tuning in? Uh, <laughs> I mean, watch, to be honest, I'll, I'll probably watch them, but I'm not like looking forward to them. Ah, uh, it's one of those, isn't it? It's um, I think we've, we've talked about this in the past, but it's it's hard to. For, for myself, it's hard to get in tune with the England games if it's not in, the, in tournament football. Um, cool. Okay, we'll we'll leave that there. Um, I think, as usual, we'll we'll end the podcast. We'll we'll pick some narratives and stories from the from the weekend's games. Stephen, we'll come to you first, mate, because um, you've had a bit of uh, you're on a bit of a bit of a streak. Obviously, you, you predicted Villa would win uh, a narrow win in in quotations. You did say narrow at Chelsea away. And they did just that. Um, so first up, mate, give us some headlines from the weekend, and then give us a prediction. Well, first of all, I'm I'm, I'm glad you've came to me first because last last week I think you came to us, or last time I was on, you came to us last, and I, me two games I'd planned had been taken, so I've got first dibs. So I'll I'll have to go to tomorrow. Uh, Arsenal, Man City, um, Pep v Arteta. Um, I think Man City are massively missing Rodri. I think it shows that he, you know, he's the most important player over De Bruyne or over Haaland, all that sort of stuff. When he's out the team, they just don't look to me the same. Either still quality, don't get us wrong. Um, but I think they've had a bit of a bump in the road and it'll be interesting to see how Arsenal approach it because you'd think, you know, they'd just go and attack them. Um, you know, similar blueprint or what, Newcastle did when we played them in the cup. Granted, it wasn't the same, you know, wasn't Man City's strongest team. But this is Arsenal. You know, if, if Arsenal are ever going to beat Man City, tomorrow will be the day. And I, I genuinely think they might sneak in. I think it might be 2-1 or 3-2 Arsenal. Um, in what I'm hoping, it'll be the game of the weekend and be a really, really good game to watch. Definitely. Do, do you want to, so are you, are you saying Arsenal are going to win there? What's your, are you throwing your weight behind? I think Arsenal win by one goal, um, but I think both teams will score. So I'm I'm going to see that two one or three two to Arsenal. Right, spot on, spot on. Do you think um, do you think the loss in midweek for Arsenal at uh, Lons makes a difference? Any confidence lost there, or do you think they'll be just brush that off? Nah, I, th- I think they'll brush it off. I think I think they've possibly underestimated Lons and looking forward to this Man City game. Maybe um, I think you know the thought. Oh, you know. I, I saw quite a lot of stuff on social media, like let's get this one out of the way and focus on the big one at the weekend, sort of thing, which is very dangerous to do in the Champions League because Lons are there on merit. Like, hi, they're not you know a big massive name, but you know they m- must have done something right last season to get in the Champions League. So um, 
I, I, I don't see there being a drop-off from that midweek. If anything, I think there'll be a bit buoyed to, to go and show people that they are for real. Um, so I personally don't see that, but, you know, football in it. Yeah, huge, huge game. Um, Darren, any any stories there? Any any headlines you can see? I think I, I think I agree with Ev's summary on that. I think whether Saka plays is going to be quite a big thing for Arsenal. Whether he's whether he's fit because he went off he went off against Lons, didn't he? Um, real key player for them. Separate conversation not for today about whether he's whether he's overused. And whether he's been pushed to his limits, but I think he'll be a pretty important player for them. So it's quite a it's quite a weird set of fixtures. I think Brighton Liverpool's a really interesting one because of how many times Brighton have either well just basically taken points off Liverpool, whether whether they've beaten them or they've or they've drawn with them. I think Klopp probably feels like he owes them one. So I think that's going to be a really interesting game. But also the styles Liverpool seem to go behind a lot. Brighton high scorers concede a lot. Liverpool, you know, they've been really aggressive, creating tons of chances that you're expecting a lot of goals in that game. But then I think there's a bit of an interesting thread through today's games as well. So Burnley, Chelsea, uh, two teams coming off first wins for a while. But I think where it's most interesting is the next game. So Everton, Bournemouth, Fulham, Sheffield United. I think Fulham are probably going to struggle. They seem to just be not the team they were last season and missing Mitrovic. It's obviously well too early for relegation battles. But the way that there's a potential for actually a few teams to get cut adrift, the way the league's working out, I think those are two massive games. And like actually any two of those teams getting three points could be, make a real make a real difference. And if Man United beat Brentford they're on a bit of a dodgy run as well so I think actually like it's quite an interesting day at the at the bottom and we could see over the next sort of five or six games a bit of a, a bit of a gap between the sort of because I think the the promoter teams from last season have been written off a little bit but I think Everton Bournemouth and then you know maybe maybe Brentford and Fulham slightly above that but there's a bit of a there's a, there's a bit of a gap between them, I think, and the rest of the rest of the league. And I think there's a chance that we can get a sort of sort of five team five team iceberg drifting away at the bottom. So I think that's yeah. a, it's a bit of an interesting one to watch. Definitely, definitely. I've I've got written down here that I um it's probably not a think or a, a will. It's more of a want. Um, Brentford to beat Man United. I. <laughs> I I kind of can see so if if Bournemouth can beat Everton and Brentford beat Man United, that's two managers who are like on strings, aren't they? So like Sean Dyche hasn't really started that well this season at Everton. I think the fans are starting to turn a little bit as well from what I'm reading. Um, and yeah, Man United fans are like when when you listen to some of them, they're, they're back in Ten Hag, and then at the end of the game, there's the booze and stuff. So if Brentford can get a win there. They're they're banging trouble, Man United, aren't they? Uh, strange team, Brentford. I, I, when we did our sort of season uh, predictions, they were. I said they were going. I didn't think they'd go down. I just I thought they'd struggle a bit more than they did last season. Um, I still think that's true, but like they're so weird that they can just, even when they do look in trouble, they've got a big performance in them. So, yeah, it'd be pretty interesting on that. 
miss, missing Tony massively, aren't they? Um, that focal point. Um, I think that, that would affect any team of that size, wouldn't it, really? Yeah, and then they've lost Rico Henry as well, haven't they? Which is another pretty pretty big loss for them. Yeah. Definitely. Um, right then, lads, let's, let's call that there. Uh, thanks again for you, for you being on, on board there. And we'll, we'll see you again on the next one. Thank you very much. Cheers, everyone. Take care. Cheers, everyone.